Talk about some messed up priorities. And it's in these moments when, when we often, we can see pretty easily when our priorities are out of whack at times, but sometimes life is a little bit more sneaky than that, and our priorities get out of alignment, and what happens is we replace the best thing with a good thing. We have all these good things that, that are in our lives, and we think, well, these are good things that God has given me. This is a good thing, and so it's okay if it takes precedence right now, and we end up replacing the best thing with a good thing. It's much like a man not too dissimilar from the man, uh, man who went to get his Xbox. Uh, this man, 70-year-old up in the Dallas area, went back into his burning home for his cell phone. Now, before you think that he went so that he could get a selfie with the burning house behind him, no, he went back because he wanted to call 911 and let them know that the house is on fire, and sadly, it cost him his life. He wanted a good thing. Calling 911 when your house on fire is a good thing, but it wasn't in that moment the best thing for him to do, and it cost him to life. It reminds me of Proverbs 14.2. One translation says, before each person there is a path that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. There's a path before each and every one of us that seems right, that seems good. It seems like this is the path we ought to take, but ultimately it leads to death because it's not the perfect way. It's not God's way. And so it's often difficult as we look at and evaluate our priorities. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit fuzzy. And so we've been going through this past year. Our theme has been redefining relationships. We started with the book of Ephesians, and we looked at redefining our relationship, number one, with who we are. We understood that our identity is in Jesus Christ, and we hit that really hard, understanding our identity. Through the book of Mark, we redefined our relationship with Scripture, and we challenged ourselves to be in the Word of God at least five minutes a day, every single one of us as a body. And not only that, as we went through the book of Mark, we looked at the life of Jesus Christ, and we challenged ourselves to think through how do we redefine our relationship with Jesus Christ as a disciple looking at his life, knowing how he lived, the things that he did, the words that he spoke, how does that change how we live as a disciple? And so this morning, as we come to the book of Haggai, we're going to be looking at redefining our relationship when it comes to our priorities, when it comes to our priorities. That's the one thing you're going to see over and over again throughout the book of Haggai is this phrase. It's the title of the series. This phrase comes up five times in two short chapters. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. So for the next few weeks, next four weeks really, we just want to take some time to give careful thought to our ways. We want to think carefully about where our priorities are and where God might have them be. A little bit of background to the book of Haggai. Um, It's one of the shortest books in the Old Testament. It's only two chapters, but there's four sermons delivered in it. Much like the book of Mark, which moves at a very fast pace, very direct, Haggai is kind of the same way. He's very direct, to the point, very fast-paced book. Uh, kind of what's going on with Israel at this time is that they are coming back. They've been back from Babylonian captivity. They've been back for about 16, 18 years now. And uh, God told them when they came back that they were to rebuild the temple. Now, some of you are thinking, rebuild the temple? What happened to the temple? Well, we got to back up a couple hundred years before that. As the, as the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, God made them a promise. And he said, listen, if you will obey my laws... If you will follow my ways when you enter the land, then you will be blessed and things will go well for you. But there is a second part of that, which is this. If you don't obey my ways, if you take your own path and separate from me, then I will judge you. I will use other nations to judge you. 
And so after many warnings, uh, God sends his prophets. We've got the split of the kingdom. We've got the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And God is trying to get their attention through the prophets, but the people won't pay attention to God. They continue to go down their own path, leading to their destruction. And so in 607 B.C., we have the Babylonians who come in, and they have the first wave of captivity that carries the nation of Israel, northern kingdom, off into captivity. And there's four more times that the Babylonians come back, and they have four major uh, exportations, exiles, of the Israelites. And it comes to a head in 586 B.C. In 586 B.C., this is the last major time the Babylonians come in, and they completely destroy the temple. Not a stone is left. Even the foundation is destroyed, and God's people are carried away. But God is faithful to his word. In Jeremiah 29.10, he promised the people that even when they disobeyed, even when they were judged by other nations, that he would allow them after 70 years to come back. So guess what happens after 70 years? Exactly 70 years later, we read in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah that God allows, through the king of Babylon, he allows 50,000 Israelites to return with the instruction that they are to rebuild the temple. And so they go back, and they immediately begin work. They start by rebuilding the altar so they can institute sacrifices and the rituals that God had given them, saying, this is the way you are to worship me. And so they begin that immediately with great excitement. And then they begin working over the next two years to rebuild the foundation of the temple. Yet, During these two years, as we read in Ezra and Nehemiah and some of the other books written around this time, we see that there was some pressure that was put on the people of Israel as they were coming back. Some of it was internal pressure. Some of it was external pressure. But after two years of working on the foundation, the work completely stops. It's brought to a complete halt. And for 16 years, the temple of God lies in ruin. And the people go about their daily lives. They let spiritual apathy set in. Now, this is a big deal because the temple was representative of God's presence in their lives. And so without the temple, there was no tangible reminder that God is present in their lives. And so it becomes very easy for them to be distracted by their daily lives. They begin clearing the fields so they can plant their crops. They begin bringing in materials so they can build their own houses. And they're distracted by what seems like good things at the time, but it wasn't the best thing. It wasn't the best thing. It wasn't what God intended for his people. They forgot that the first call of a believer is to put God first. The call of every believer is to put God first. And God raises up Haggai, the prophet, who comes and encourages them and says, hey, get back to the work of rebuilding my temple. I have something better for you than what you're experiencing right now. I have the best thing for you, if you'll just follow me. Realign your priorities with who I am and what I've called you to do. And so this morning, we're going to look at Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to look at our priorities. We're going to ask ourselves the questions. When our priorities are misplaced, when they get out of alignment, how do we align our priorities with God's priorities? And we're going to see three things very clearly from the text. So let's start in chapter 1 of the book of Haggai. This is uh, three books back from the New Testament. So if you go to Matthew and then go back a couple pages, you'll be right there in Haggai. If you got it on your phone, you can just type in Haggai and it should come right up. But it says this, chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, 
the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of hosts says this, These people say, The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. But the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses or fancy houses? While this house lies in ruins. Now the Lord of hosts says this, Think carefully about your ways. There's that phrase, think carefully about your ways, consider your ways. We see this over and over again. There's one, one phrase that shows up throughout the book of Haggai even more often than this one, and that is the Lord of hosts or the Lord Almighty, depending on your translation. 25 times in two chapters, Haggai references the Lord Almighty says, so says the Lord Almighty, declares the Lord of hosts 25 times. He's clearly speaking to the people, the heart of God. And this is what God says, the first thing that we see. If we're going to align our priorities with God's, first thing we have to do is we have to stop making excuses. The people have been back for 16 years. Uh, they've been back for, for more than that. They've been back for 18 years, two years to build the foundation. But for 16 years, the foundation had lied in, in ruins. And they were become content, perfectly content, worshiping among the ruins without making any progress. And they had a number of excuses that they were relying on. We can go to the uh, book of Ezra chapter 4 if we want to see exactly what happened there, why all these things uh, happened that brought the work to a halt. But what we see is that people's attention began to shift. It shifted from rebuilding the temple of God to their own priorities. And they they probably had a lot of excuses. We see in verse 2 there, It says, uh, the Lord of hosts says this, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt, right? These people say, so we get the indication that at some point, every once in a while, during these 16 years, someone would step up and say, you know what, we ought to finish the temple. And the people together would say, you know what, that sounds really good, but we just, we don't have the money to do that right now. We'll just wait. We don't have the resources, the lumber that we need to rebuild. So we just, we're just not going to do that right now. We don't have the craftsmen that we need to be- build the beautiful temple that God deserves, so we're just not going to do it. And the people go on about their lives. They make excuses. They start making excuses for why they can't do the things that God has called them to do. And I found, as I read throughout this week, something hit me pretty hard. And that's this, when it comes to doing the work of God, our excuses are useless. When it comes to doing the work of God, our excuses are useless. There should be no excuse. Every single resource that has ever existed is the Lord's. He has given us everything we need to accomplish his purpose. If it's God's work, it will be accomplished if we are faithful in following him. There's no excuse. Sadly, we live in a culture that wants to play the victim Much like these people, they wanted to play the victim. Well, the king said we have to stop working. The Samaritans don't want us to work. The Persians don't want us to rebuild. We're the victims here. We can't do anything about it. We see this all the time in our own culture, right? You ask somebody, hey, um, how did you get where you are? Well, you know, I would be in a lot different situation if it weren't for the way I was raised. The way my parents raised me, that's the problem. It's the environment I was raised in. That's the problem. You know, my marriage would be so much better if it weren't for my spouse, right? (laughs) I could do so much more at work if it weren't for the management. The management's holding me back, man. 
man, I would do so much better on my presentations at work if it weren't for my coworkers who are holding me back. We find any and every excuse. And sadly, as we see in the book of Haggai, this same attitude, this same mindset has made its way into the people of God. I found this one quote that I loved. It says this. It says, if it's important, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. I love that. If it's important, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. We see very clearly that the people here in Haggai chapter 1, they, they said it was important to him, but their actions reflected differently. And so they found any excuse to not do what God had called them to do. I think of it like this. How many of you this past year made some great New Year's resolutions? Anybody make some good ones? Now, how many of you have kept up with those? I can put my hand down, right? Usually for me, one of the big ones is eating right. I want to eat right. I'm going to start January 1. I'm going to eat right. Well, the problem with that is there's bowl games on, on New Year's Day. So you've got you to gotta have cheese ball and cheese dip and cheesecake and ham on New Year's Day. So, you know what, I'll start next, I'll start on the second. But then, you know, the national title game's not till the 8th, and so I don't want to be the only one not eating pizza at the national title game. So I'll just start after that. But, you know, a few weeks after that is the Super Bowl, so I think I'll just wait until after the Super Bowl. But, you know, it's only a month later that March Madness comes up, and I don't want to be the only guy not eating wings watching basketball. So I'll just, I'll just wait. And before you know it, you find any and every excuse to not do what you've said you want to do. Yeah, you said this is important to me that I do this, but your attitude, your actions show differently. You find any excuse. Same thing happens with our budget. Same thing happens in many areas of our life, that we will find any excuse, even with the things that we want to say are important to us. And this is not intentional, I don't think anybody does that maliciously. It's just kind of our human nature that over time, our ideas about what's important tend to drift unless we make them important. God knows this, and so he says, think carefully about your ways in verse 5. Consider your ways. Look again with me at verse 5. Now the Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to become drunk. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. Two times in just a few verses, we see God's encouragement to the people to think carefully about their ways. Literally, that phrase is put your heart on your path. Put your heart on your path. And here's what it means. You want to evaluate your past and be honest about your future. You want to evaluate your past, look at the way that you have been living, the way that you're currently living, and be honest about your future. Is the way that I'm living right now taking me down a path that's going to draw me closer to God or further away from God? Proverbs fourteen twelve. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Which path are you on? Can you be honest with yourself? about which path you're on. Take time to carefully evaluate, to look at your own priorities, look at your own way of life, your own way of living, and see if it's got you headed in the right direction. What I love about this from the book of Haggai is that this is a personal encouragement as well as a corporate encouragement. Right? Haggai is saying to the individual peoples, hey, 
through, through Haggai, God is saying, consider your ways. Every single one of you is an individual. Consider your ways. You say it's not time to rebuild, but you sure have enough finances and enough resources and enough craftsmen to build your nice, big, beautiful houses, paneled houses, right? Fancy houses, very ornate. The, the indication there is that this is like houses with sunrooms and guest rooms, and these are big, beautiful, majestic houses that the people are building. It's not basic shelter that they're building for themselves, but they're going all in, building their own house. And I wonder how often do we end up building our own house rather than building the kingdom of God? How often do we pour all of our resources into our own lifestyle, into the things that we want, the things that we say are important to us, rather than the things that God tells us are important, and investing in his kingdom, investing in the things that he wants us to invest in. While we're involved in our own daily affairs, we end up neglecting our spiritual responsibilities to be engaged in the work of the kingdom, to be engaged in the work that God is doing. At River Rock Bible Church, our vision is to go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. We believe that. We believe that that vision can become reality. But in order for that vision to become reality, it's going to take every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. Every man, woman, and child is going to need to be engaged in the work of building God's kingdom. Notice we don't say that we want to see every man, woman, and child trust Jesus and come to River Rock Bible Church. Our concern is not that they end up at River Rock Bible Church. We want to see people trust Jesus Christ, and we'll get them connected to whatever church they're comfortable with, whatever church is going to get them growing and moving towards the path that God would have them go on. Our vision is to reach every man, woman, and child, and in order to do that, it takes every man, woman, and child. My question to you is, where are your priorities? Where are your priorities? Um, In order to, to do that, to accomplish that mission and vision, There's a couple things that I think we need to consider as priorities. First and foremost is evangelism. Evangelism. Second is our resources, both human and financial resources. So think about where am I serving? How am I giving? If you open up your bulletin, you'll see there's this little insert. Printed it on some nice cardstock. What I'd encourage you to do is to put this somewhere where you're going to see it every single day. Put it on the mirror to look at as you brush your teeth. Um, Put it inside your Bible so that every time you open it to read it, that you would see this. And here's our challenge as a church. As we go through the book of Haggai and going forward, just like we did with the book of Mark where we challenged ourselves to be in the Word of God for five minutes a day, at least five minutes a day, we want to challenge ourselves to be praying five minutes a day. And there's a couple things that you'll see on here. First and foremost is that you'll see that the vision is put at the very top. We believe this is a God-sized vision and it's going to take God-sized resources and God-sized investment from every single one of us to accomplish this vision. But we believe that it could become reality if every man, woman, and child would get involved. And so we've put some things here for you to consider. The first is, if everyone at River Rock Bible Church shared my habits when it comes to reading Scripture and to praying, would we be growing spiritually as individuals and as a body? That's a tough question to answer. It may sting a little bit. It may sting a little bit to be honest with yourself. Put your heart on your path. Be honest 
Evaluate your past and be honest about your future. The next one there is, if everyone at River Rock were as engaged in evangelism as I am, would we accomplish our vision? Going to church on Sunday morning isn't enough. Inviting someone to church isn't enough. They need to be hearing the gospel repeatedly. If everyone were doing what you're doing when it comes to evangelism, how many people would we have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Again, something that's tough for us to answer. In fact, this past week, as I looked at that question, I realized that there are things in my life that needed to be rearranged. Um, My wife and I have been keeping a budget for quite a while, and uh, we've had a hard time because we have a budget, we sit down, we look at it, and we say, okay, this is our budget, and we're pretty good about sticking to it, but we're not always as good about actually tracking where things are going. And so this past month, at the end of May, we sat down and we said, okay, we found this tool, that, this online tool where we can actually track where our money's going in real time and tie it to our budget. So we did that last month. And at the end of the month, we're like, oh, wow, we're not doing as well with our budget as we thought we were. We're not overspending, but our money's not really going where we thought it was going. And so we've made some adjustments so that we can know where our money's going, that we can honor God with our finances. And the same is true. I'm a little bit OCD, so I actually have a time budget on my calendar. I have an Excel spreadsheet that's got, these are the hours that I sleep, these are the hours that I work, these are the hours that I volunteer, these are the hours that I spend with my family, and these are the hours that I exercise, right? I've got all that mapped out, and I know exactly how much time I have. But as I considered this this week, that one question, if everyone at River Rock Bible Church were doing as much evangelism as you are, would we accomplish our vision? And I realized that there was room for me to improve. There was room for me to improve, so I pulled out my phone. I don't know about you guys, but I put everything on this, and if it's not on there, then it probably doesn't happen. I put everything on my calendar. I put everything in my phone, and so I actually pulled out my phone, and I picked a time and day of the week, and I said, I just put in there an appointment for me, and it says, share Jesus. Share Jesus. Uh, Poor guy at Vitamin Shop had no idea what was coming when my phone went ding. I was like... All right, who's in here? So if you see me at the coffee shop and there's nobody else in there, then, then people have probably learned what's coming, right? But I know that if I don't put it on my calendar, if I don't make it a priority, then it's not going to happen. There's two places we can look for us to know what our priorities are. You look at your calendar and your checkbook. If I were to look at your calendar and checkbook, I could probably tell you what's most important to you. And so I've worked that time in there. I've worked time in to my evening calendar with my family. I've got a reminder, four days a week, it says, go to your front yard. Go to your front yard. Engage your neighbors. Begin a spiritual conversation with them. Because I want, I want to be setting the example. I want to be able to say, yes, if everyone at River Rock Bible Church were doing what I'm doing when it comes to evangelism, we would accomplish our mission and our vision the next thing on there, number three, is if everyone were as serving as faithfully and if everyone were as giving as faithfully as I am, would we be able to meet our needs? Would we be able to meet or exceed our budget? I'd like to draw your attention quickly to the bulletin, and you'll see in there we have our budget year-to-date. We also have our year-to-date received, and you'll see that there's a little bit of a discrepancy. Now, we don't want you to freak out about that. It doesn't mean that you know, we're going to have to close the doors or anything like that. God has blessed us. Um, and so we, we have a little bit of a reserve, but here's what that does mean. We are committed to not going into debt. 
So we are only able to do as much ministry as the funds we have received. And so when you see this number year-to-date received that's lower than the year-to-date budgeted, that means that we've budgeted for some ministry that we're not able to do because the funds aren't there. Imagine what God could do if every single one of us were giving faithfully, were giving in a way that honored him. How much more would we be able to exceed that? How much more would we be able to impact our community and allow more men, women, and children the opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ? So how does this all come together? You'll see there the five-minute prayer challenge. Five-minute prayer challenge. We want to challenge you to pray five minutes a day. The first two minutes, we want you to pray for people that you know personally who are far from God. Pray for them by name. Pray that God would give you opportunities to share the gospel and that he would give you boldness in sharing the gospel. The next two minutes, we want you to pray for people that are in your community group. If you're not in a community group, where's your priorities, man? No, I'm just joking. If you're not in a community group, just pray for the people of River Rock Bible Church that they would be bold with the gospel and that God would open the door for them to have opportunities to share the gospel with people who are far from God. In the last minute, we're going to ask that you would just pray for the resources of River Rock Bible Church, both human resources and financial resources, that we would be able to meet or surpass the God-sized vision that we have for this city, that we would be able to reach every man, woman, and child, that there would be no reason, there would be no excuse for us to say, well, we'd love to do this to reach the people, but, because we know that our excuses are useless. We need to stop making excuses and trust God for his vision. We want to evaluate our past and be honest about our future. One question, one other question came to my mind this, this week as I was preparing. As I look at this, I see that the people are, are going about their daily lives. They have the altar set up. They have the foundation of the temple lay. And they, they're able to say, you know what, we can go and we can worship good enough. We have what we need. We have the bare minimum of what we need to worship God. We've got the altar. We've got our priests. Isn't that good enough? And they're satisfied with good enough instead of being in pursuit of God's best. I don't want any of us to be satisfied with good enough. We need to be pursuing God's priorities, giving Him preeminence above all things. So, first two ways that we see that we have to realign our priorities. First thing we do is we stop making excuses. Second thing we do, you put your heart on your path, consider your ways, think carefully about your ways, or evaluate your past, and be honest about your future. Is the way that I'm living right now leading me towards God or away from him? And then we're going to see this last thing. Let's look at verse 7 and following. It says, the Lord of hosts says this, Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down the lumber, and build the house. Then I will be pleased with it and will be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest into your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts, because my house still lies in ruin. So God is saying, look, you're doing the things that you need to be doing to satisfy yourself, to get by, and even that, I'm not blessing. You're finding that it's not enough. How many of us have ever found that there's too much month at the end of the paycheck? How many of us have ever found ourselves in the position where, as it says in verse 6, you put your money into bags with holes in it? I think sometimes God is trying to get our attention to a spiritual issue. There's not a financial issue. There's a spiritual issue. How many of us ever have said, I wish there were just more hours in the day? Perhaps running out of time is God's way of saying, hey, 
I need to get your attention towards something else. Maybe you ought to turn to me and put me first and then see how I bless your time. He goes on, he says, this is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Because my house still lies in ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house, so on your account the skies have withheld dew, the land, its crops, I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the new grain, the new wine, the olive oil, whatever the ground yields, on man and beast, and on all that your hands produce. God is saying, look, I'm getting your attention here. If you would just focus in on me, if you would just do the things that I have called you to do, make me your priority, then you will begin to see a shift in the way things happen. You'll begin to see a shift in what you value. Right? This is not health wealth. This isn't like you write a check for $100 and all of a sudden um, God gives you 1000 That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is finding the blessing and putting God first. Finding that when we prioritize spending time in the word of God, that all of a sudden there's time that we never knew we had. Putting God first is a priority. I love this. The people's response in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people, listen to this, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to all the people. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they began work on the house of Yahweh of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Not long after he delivers this message, the people get to work. They've stopped making excuses. They've considered their ways. They've evaluated their past, and they were honest about their future. And they realized, hey, if we continue down this path, we're going to end up back in exile, just as God promised. We need to get serious about doing the work of God. And here's what I love. The last thing, if we're going to realign, if we're going to align our priorities with God, we need to respond with obedient action. That's exactly what the people of Israel did. They responded with obedient action. God is looking at them and he's, he's telling them, look, you put all your hope for financial and economic security in the planting of crops and the building of your houses and life just hasn't worked out the way you plan. One of Stephen's greatest influences is uh, Dr. Phil and Dr. Phil has a saying of, how's that working out for you, right? How's that working for you? God says, look, hey, you've tried it your way and how's that working for you? How's that working for you? It's not, is it? Why don't you try it my way? You've tried to run your marriage according to your way, according to Dr. Phil. How's that working for you? Why don't you try it according to Scripture? You've tried to manage your finances according to your own way. Why don't you try managing them according to Scripture? Begin by taking obedient action. The people responded. You've tried not reading Scripture and praying because you think it it allows you to have more time in the day. You've tried not serving because you think it allows you to put your energy towards other things. You've tried not giving because you don't see how you could possibly give. Let me ask you, how's that working out for you? Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Put your heart on your path. I love this last section here where it says, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua. The Lord stirred up. 
the spirit of the people, of all the remnant. Haggai is begging the people to consider their ways. He's saying, look, the definition of insanity, or some people would say stupidity, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. For the last 16 years, you guys have done the same thing over and over again. I'm begging you, stop the insanity. Do it God's way. Put God first. Put God first and see how all these other things fall into place. Let's get busy building the house of God. For us today, we would say, let's get busy building the kingdom of God. I really hope that every single one of you here will take that little card and read through it every single day this week. Every single day. Understand that, that we're not trying to, to step on your toes. We're not pointing fingers at anyone. But we, as a body, have to start individually considering our ways. Is the path that you're on currently taking you closer to God or away from him? Is the path that we're on as a church in the way that we share the gospel and the way that we share our time, talents, and treasures, is that moving us towards the God-sized vision of reaching every man, woman, and child that he has given us? Or is it moving us away? Consider your ways. And then consider, what is the obedient action that God would have me take this week? What is it that God would have me do I love this. I found a bunch of good quotes on priorities. One of them is this. It says, no one is too busy. Uh, No one is too busy. It's just a matter of priorities. No one is too busy. It's just a matter of priorities. And the other one that I found is actually from Gandhi. And it ties really closely with this last point. It says, action expresses priorities. Action expresses priorities. What are your actions? What do your attitudes reveal about what is most important to you? Are you willing to consider your ways? Are you running back into the burning house to get your Xbox? Maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe you say, I'm not that selfish. But maybe you're running back into the burning house to get your cell phone. Consider your ways. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, to worship you and to hear from your word. Lord, we pray that just as the people of Israel, we know that our tendency is for our, our vision and our desire, our pursuit of you to drift and to fade over time. Lord, we pray that as we go through this series in the book of Haggai, that we would consider our ways, that we would be serious and, and prayerful about looking at the way that we're living and evaluating whether or not that honors you and whether or not that's the path you would have us on. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see ways that we can make course corrections, where we can align our priorities with your priorities, that we would not be busy building our own paneled houses, but that we would be building the kingdom of God by giving every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Lord, stir our spirits just as you stirred the spirit of the people of Israel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see there's a spot there at the end that says take two. This is a time in in our service where we want you to be serious about what God is saying to you. Has God stirred your heart this morning? Is God saying something to you? Has he put something on your heart, someone to pray for, an action step that you need to take? So we just want to take two minutes, give you an opportunity 
to prayerfully consider what God is saying to you. And you'll see right there, it says, take two. That's, that's your big, big takeaway from today. What has God said to me? And then next to that is your action step. I will. Because of what God said to me, what are you going to do this week to put your heart on the path moving towards God? Let's take two. Your way to prepare for this morning's offering, I'd ask that you go ahead and reach down and grab your connection card. If you are visiting with us this morning, please drop this in so that we're able to um, follow up with you. We have a great team of ladies that do uh, uh, loaves of love ministry, so just for being a visitor, you get a free loaf of bread, but we've got to know where to find you. Uh, also, if you'll drop it in there, we do have a gift for you in the back. Um, on here, you'll see two things on the very back. It says, my next step today is... The next one is, I'm interested in. Uh, We believe that every single person here, whether this is your first time ever to come to church or you've been going to church and you trusted Christ long ago, we believe that every single person has a next step. Maybe yours is listed. Maybe it's not. If it's not, write it in the comments. If you have something that you would like the elders and the staff to be praying for you, go ahead and write that in the comments as well. We pray for all of these things. Every Wednesday morning at our elder board meeting, we get on our knees and we pray for every single request at River Rock Bible Church. Uh, on the other side, you'll see I'm interested in. And one of those at the very bottom is membership. And yesterday, we had a membership meeting. So if you are one of our new members at River Rock Bible Church, I know I didn't warn you about this. I'm not going to make you say anything. But if you would just stand up and let everyone see, if we could get some lights on so everyone can see these beautiful faces of our new members. Keep standing. We want. It. There we go. Here comes the lights. Oh, 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 no, no, you got to stand back up. All right. All right. Now you can see where they are. If you're a member, make sure you congratulate them. If you're a regular attender and you think, man, I'd love to find out more about this membership, um, go back to the connection table. See Jen Resop. She's head of our connections team. uh, And we'll talk to you about when our next member meeting will be. Um, If you want to buy in, if you want to be all in for the vision of reaching every man, woman, and child, with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Being a member is a great way to do that. Uh, so welcome new members. Uh, at this time, we will receive our offering. We would ask if you're visiting with us, don't feel compelled to give. Um, we want this morning's service to be a gift to you, and uh, we are faithfully su- supported by our members and regular attenders, so please don't feel compelled to give. Will you pray with me? Father, we do pray at this time that you would receive this morning's offering and that you would bless it. Lord, we pray... Uh, that we would not be like the people of Israel who, uh, who work and work and work but never have enough, Lord, but that you would bless us and uh, allow us to see our vision become reality, that every penny that's given here uh, at River Rock Bible Church would go towards the building of your kingdom, would go to, towards reaching every man, woman, and child in Georgetown and to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.